0: modern
1: modern modern Modern.
2: we're prepping for a voyage modern the force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration
1: why don't you make that a double
2: modern bar cart what's shaking cocktail fans welcome to another episode of modern bar cart live This time around, we were lucky enough to have special guest Aaron Petrie of Bourbon and Banter join us in person for a tasting of four different bourbons. The goal here was to see how different styles and mash bills affect the flavor profiles of America's spirit and learn to appreciate how different flavors can be mapped onto decisions made during the distilling and barrel aging process. The bottles we taste in this stream are as follows, in case you want to taste along with us. Elijah Craig Small Batch, Four Roses Single Barrel, Rebel Yell Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and Wild Turkey 17-Year Bottled in Bond. Quick little intro for Erin. Born and raised in the bluegrass, Erin has always held an affinity for her home state's signature spirit. Throughout her world travels, 35 countries and counting, Erin delights in spreading the gospel of bourbon across the globe, from Spain to Korea, and especially in her now home of Washington, D.C. Erin spent her formative years studying international relations and finding the best libations in the nation's capital. Though a high rye bourbon will always be her favorite, she can never say no to a pretty bottle always up for an adventure. Aaron also enjoys kayaking, science fiction, exceptional cocktails, and traveling everywhere possible. I'll add that Aaron has served on the board of the Kentucky society of Washington since 2014 and is a prolific spirits and cocktail educator who runs a bunch of different classes for private and corporate clients. You can connect with her on Instagram at E R P D C all one word. And with that, Let's jump straight into this live bourbon tasting. Erin Petrie. Hi. Thanks for being here.
1: Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. So for, for all the folks who are joining us on uh, Instagram Live, um, we're here for a four bourbon tasting Um we don't have to wait till September to drink bourbon.
1: That is correct, even though September is National Bourbon Heritage Month. So
2: we're we're kind of uh, we're we're making up for for 2020 and all, all the all the terrible things that we lost time on there. So we're we're getting started nice and early here in 2021. Uh, Aaron, why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself and sure. just telling our listeners and our viewers a little bit about who you are and how you be- came to become a a bourbon evangelist.
1: Yeah, sure. No, so I actually even wore the shirt, my bourbon evangelist shirt. Uh, Some people might recognize this this very common bottle. Uh, But so, no, my name's Erin Petrie. I actually grew up um, in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, down the road from the Four Roses Distillery. And on the other side of the county, uh, 10,000-person county, let's be real, uh, from Wild Turkey. Um, You know, went to school in Lexington. But, you know, I've always had an affinity for bourbon probably because Uh, I literally pass the Four Roses Distillery twice a day for every day, uh, 17 years of my life. So, you know, the mash in the morning is what I really like to smell. Um, So I am a senior contributor for Bourbonbanter.com. I've been with them for eight years this August. I am the president-elect of the Kentucky Society of Washington, and then uh, I also teach cocktail classes. But I do love bourbon. And really the way that I got into this is I drank a lot. And then I asked our editor, Uh, I submitted myself for, for consideration to be one of the first writers besides our editor. And uh, here we are eight years later. So
2: that is, that is, (laughs) that is awesome. I love the smell of the smell of mash in the morning. I, the closest I've ever come to that is I worked at a law firm Mm -hmm. And they, um, they they had their marketing office in the basement of this building, and it was the building right next to Espita. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we smelled them making their uh, their tortillas in the morning, which was a yeah. it's a different it's a different thing, but corn both times. Yeah,
1: it is also yeah definitely corn based. Mm-hmm. So
2: <laughs> so I don't have the mash in the morning. Well, that, that's awesome. Um, can you explain to our listeners and our viewers the logic behind what we have set up? For us here, and and maybe just give us a a brief 30,000 foot overview of the bottles?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, to pull back a little bit, you know, a lot of folks who are listening in probably know what bourbon is, Um, but just to kind of lay that out, bourbon has to be made in the United States, at least 51% corn in the mash bill, and then uh, the other parts of that mash bill could be malted barley, rye, or wheat. Uh, Most commonly, it is just malted barley and rye. So, there are a couple of different permutations you can get from a mash bill. Um, There's other ways, you know, other things that actually go into making a bourbon a bourbon um, because that's actually dictated by US federal law. Um, We can get into that later. But what I really wanted to highlight with today's tasting is the three different mash bills. The way that you can really get to a different flavor by the type of grains that go into it. And then I threw in a wild card at the end uh, for an ultra aged bourbon. So we're first starting out with Elijah Craig, which comes from the Heaven Hill Distillery. And that has your your pretty standard, um, you know, corn, a little bit of rye, a little bit of malted barley in it. Then we go over to the Four Roses Single Barrel, which is a high rye mash bill. There's really no definition for what high rye means. A lot of people think it's over 15 or 18 percent, but we're going to get pretty deep into rye with that our third one is going to be uh, now it is rebranded as rebel bourbon uh, probably uh, (laughs) way too long coming let's be real but it was this particular bottle was uh, purchased when it was still rebel yell um, and that is a weeded bourbon other weeded bourbons you might know are also uh, things like maker's mark and then finally we have the wild turkey bottled and bond 17 year Um, that's also going to be your traditional mash bill but this one has been aged for 17 years so I wanted to show kind of how that ultra aging can impact the flavor
2: I like that. We've got bookending with traditional mash bills. Yep. And then we've got the high rye, and then the sort of light weeded is our almost like our palate cleanser. So, yeah, this is a this is a really nice, very thoughtfully set up lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a huge fan of Elijah Craig. Uh, it's sort of my go to sipper. I, I don't I don't tend to mix with it. It's like it's kind of like where I start not mixing.
1: I mean, that's fair. You know, I really love Elijah Craig, and, I mean, I love Heaven Hill. I'm such, like, a Heaven Hill fangirl. Um, I love almost everything they do. It's funny, when I was um – not of legal drinking age. The first, uh, handle of bourbon I ever killed with my best friend from high school was, uh, Evan Williams, black label. So I guess, you know, I started that out early. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I really love everything from the heaven Hill distillery. I will say though, that I do make cocktails with Elijah Craig fairly frequently. Um, you know, it is that 94 proof, and I like to do cocktails between that 90 to hundred proof in bourbon. Um, So I I do like to use that uh, for cocktails, but I'll also drink it on the rocks. I'm also particularly fond of their barrel-proof selections too.
2: Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we also have, joining us in the booth, and in actually a quasi-booth-like setup for the first time, Modern Bar Cart co-founder Ethan Hall. Ethan, how
0: are you? I'm good. I'm learning how to be the best listener I can be and uh, not drop the ball in the stream.
2: Yeah, let's let's jump in here, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess we should start with uh, with the beginning. Elijah Craig.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so just to give folks a little bit of context, too, about, uh, you know, how I'm going to be talking about some of the flavor profiles in these, um, if you go to bourbonbanter.com in our shop, we also have uh, downloadable flavor wheels as well as tasting mats. We have a three-whiskey tasting mat. We also have a four-whiskey tasting mat, but because, you know, it's 2021 and I'm a millennial, I don't own a printer, so I had these ones already printed out, so we're going to be scrawling on the back. But you can download those um, and use for your own bourbon tastings. Um, and really, the bourbon flavor wheel is is really great because it really helps you uh, mentally drive to tasting notes. Because a lot of people say, like, well, how do you get sawdust or grass or coriander or fig or the much maligned marzipan uh, out yes. of... <laughs> Also, we have a shirt that says "Marzipan AF" on it, Uh, so love that one. Um, But you know, so the way to really start understanding and developing how to pull out those um, potentially more esoteric tasting notes is to use a baseline like this flavor wheel. You know, there are five major flavor categories or families when you're tasting bourbon. Um, you've got your wood, obviously, from the barrel, from the charred oak, from the vanillins, the caramels that go in uh, to that. Uh, the grain, obviously, what's coming from your mash bill, your sweeter aromatics. So that's going to be more like those maple syrups. Um, again, you know, some of that caramel, um, honey, and then also moving into kind of those darker notes of chocolate mocha. Uh, Then you'll go into your spice. A lot of the spice is pulled from rye in the mash bill. Um, So you're usually going to get more of those spice notes when you have a higher rye mash bill, but they're also still present um, in ones with lower rye content. Um, So those are everything from your minty uh, to your baking spices, anisette. And then finally is your fruit and your floral notes. So, you know, I actually have had bourbons that taste like banana. You more often will probably hear stone fruits you know, uh, apples, that sort of thing. Um, so those are the five kind of categories. And so that's where you can start looking in and pinpointing those, uh, more specific tasting notes.
2: That's awesome. Uh, have you, have you done this before?
1: Yeah, I never, I'm just kind of like, you know, just kind of figuring it out this time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was the most succinct and specific, uh, explanation of bourbon flavor categories I think I've ever heard. So, um, also, uh, Everybody, it's been it's been tough during the pandemic and everyone's trying to make money the way that that you can. So um, if you if you want to support me, you can find me on OnlyFans pouring bourbon on my feet at much maligned marzipan. Mm, So uh, if you want to see something like that, that's where you got to (laughs) go.
1: T.M. pending.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. we, uh... We should. Yeah,
1: you know I will say though that my bourbon bunker. Oh, we're starting that way. Oop. So left to right, yeah. So we have these bottles here. This is the order, so you guys can see them. Um, and then it's also this way for us too. Um, and you know I will say that my bourbon bunker has taken a real hit during the pandemic, but I've also done a good job of uh, keeping the stocks up. Thank God for um, the direct to consumer market, as well as places like Sealbox who can ship anything they want, yeah, and DC right. for being the wild wild west of the liquor world. Yeah, DC.
2: We're doing just fine uh man i love i love when you walk up to a spirit and it's like an old friend yeah Uh, it's just such (laughs) a familiar aroma old
1: friend or old enemy frenemy maybe
2: mm, not in this case not in
1: this case no i'm there are some like that for me Mm
2: -hmm. so uh what traditionally do Mm -hmm. you get when you nose elijah craig
1: yeah um so you know honestly the first thing i get is really a lot of that kind of like fruit more on the stone fruit side, like like an apricot, if you will, less a dried version, more as a fresh version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, you know, for you know, as a tip, when you do nose uh, any sort of spirit in general, um, but especially you know with with whiskeys, because that's my bread and butter, um, it's always good to roll between your two nostrils because you will have uh, a dominant nostril at any given time in the day. Um, so to, in order to get that full bouquet from the chimney out of the Glencairn, you're really going to want to make sure that you roll it between your nostrils.
2: Yes. Um, and you can also find me sniffing bourbon at Dominant Nostril on OnlyFans. So,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, building out your entire brand here for free. I'm going to have to charge royalties here.
2: Uh, lovely. So, I, yeah, I get a lot of... Um, I get brown sugar on yeah, the nose, absolutely. Um, so I, I get sent back. I, I do like the stone fruit. I like I, I like um, maybe a maybe a nice uh, ripe but somewhat acidic plum in a yeah. in a baked some baked format where you have like a brown plum sugar plum pudding or like a plum crumble <laughs> or like a you know brown sugar crumble on top of something. Um, now I
1: need to like make a plum crumble because that mm. sounds very nice.
2: Yeah, this is it, it's a it's a very um, it, Elijah Craig to me is very comforting.
1: Yeah. Well, it also has those kind of more caramel vanilla notes that are common mm. in every bourbon. And that's, you know, those kind of warm spices, those warm notes are going to kind of give you that hug, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you drink it, you also get that Kentucky hug, which is that, you know, the proof coming in. Um, and I will say, so Elijah Craig is 94 proof. That is actually going to be the lowest proof of any of the ones that we're tasting today. The rest of them are all 100
2: proof. Mm-hmm. 94 proof. So um uh, and it's, it, to me, it feels pretty close to that. So 90 proof is 45. So 94 is going to be mm-hmm. uh 47%. So this is, it's, it's definitely got a bit more of a bite than something like, like a maker's mark, like a regular standard maker's mark for sure. Well,
1: yeah. Cause that's 90 proof, but that's also a weeded, right? So it's right. going to be softer on the palate.
2: Yep.
1: Um, you know, on the flavor, I get a lot of the, um, I don't know if anybody has ever had a Majesca. Um, they a candy that was created in Louisville. Um, it was named after, I believe like some sort of like Polish opera singer or something. I'm going to get the, specifics of was that it wrong. spelled like m-a-m-o-d-j-e-s-k-a
2: oh i was thinking I, yeah okay i'm half polish and so yeah the spelling usually gets pretty pretty funky
1: yeah well that's i mean listen we're you know we're kentuckians we might have screwed it up at some point you know who knows but a majeska is i think probably honestly probably one of the most perfect candies out there because it's marshmallow in the middle and then it's caramel on the outside so I get that yeah. a lot on the flavor here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of that marshmallow kind of sweetness and fluff, but then also the lighter caramel, but more of a buttery caramel.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like one of the things that I, I like about Elijah Craig is the oak profile. I, mm-hmm. I think that I think that it actually really showcases the fact that like, I, and I know that this sounds really strange and kind of basic to point out, but mm-hmm. this showcases the fact that a barrel was made out of oak and then set on fire. I can taste some of the fire in it and not, in, not in a way that like that distract, like not in a way that tastes like charred or sooty, but like there's some fire here. There's nuances of, of fire.
1: Well, and, you know, and that's, you know, I, it's that's certainly intentional, too, because so the, the story goes that Reverend Elijah Craig, who was a converted uh, Baptist minister, um, you know, he had a fire in his barn where all of his mm-hmm. barrels were, and they accidentally got set on fire, but he needed to send that whiskey down to New Orleans anyways. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this is great. Um, that's honestly like that's I'm going to call BS on that one because people have been toasting barrels for a long time because, you know, it's better for. Uh, you know for to close any seams people knew that it gave it flavor um, and then also just from a like cleaning perspective too like if there was junk if you had crackers in your barrel before and you want to put whiskey in it you just like throw some fire in there and it cleans it out if mm-hmm. you will
2: mm-hmm. so it's a nice story though yeah you know?
1: it's yeah it's a nice story and if you go to Heaven Hill, uh, their distillery is in, uh, Bardstown, Kentucky, actually right across the street from the Willett distillery. Um, you know, they, you, they have a beautiful video that's very well produced that like shows the whole, uh, story. Um, but I feel like it's a bit, when it comes to history, it's a bit apocryphal.
2: So mm, mm. <laughs> that's not real. Yeah. We, we tend in here in, the, here in the U S though, I think we embrace that because our history is so much shorter mm-hmm. that I think we feel yeah. like we need to make up for a little bit of lost time.
1: Yeah, it's true. We have a rich history though, too. Um, it's funny though about Elijah Craig. So Elijah Craig himself was actually from Scott County, Kentucky, which is next to, uh, Lexington. So it's Georgetown, Kentucky. And, um, the guys at Blue Run Bourbon, um, actually grew up from Elijah Craig's homestead. And so they named it after, uh, his homestead, uh, Blue Run. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so, uh, the, the mythology around Elijah Craig, the person is very deep and long, so. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Chances are, if if it's brown in a bottle and named after an old white guy, it's bourbon.
1: Yeah, that's true. But the nice thing about Elijah Craig, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, as far as age statements go, it does not hold an age statement. Sometimes if you do get a store pick, um, there will be an age statement on there, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12 years. But in general, Elijah Craig off the shelf 94 proof is going to be a blend of bourbons from 8 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. They discontinued the 12 year product. um, Gosh, at least a decade ago now, I feel like. Um, it was a while ago because, you know, it's, I feel like it was maybe, I don't know. It's also the fact that now the eighties or 40 years ago, weirds me out 1980. So, you know, time is, time is relative, especially after 2020. Um, but they also have the barrel proof variety. They have a new toasted barrel variety, which I have not had yet. They also have a rye now and then they have an 18 and a 23 release. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, this one's been around, um, since the, uh, the mid eighties, I think, um, Right before I was born, so mm-hmm. 1986.
2: So I like as well the fact that when I drink Elijah Craig, I tend to take more time between my sips because I really yeah. I get a nice, almost like a, a uh, like a taffy finish. It's like a little yeah. bit a little bit saline to mm-hmm. me, yeah. and to me that's appealing because you have this interesting tension when you have a when you have a finish like that. I find. There's a little bit of delight in it because it's also a good texture. I find that it's got a bit of a buttery texture on it as well. Sure. And so I sit there enjoying the texture and I enjoy salty foods anyway. I'm much more of a salty person than a sweet person. I'm a
1: salt fiend, so yeah.
2: But then the fact that it's salty makes you kind of want to go back for more. So there's this, like, fun little tension in the glass. And and you don't find that with everything.
1: Um, No, you don't. And that's also, like, why, you know, like, I know I'm not really getting into cocktails. But, you know, like, when you add, like, a pinch of salt into a cocktail, it can completely, like... It elevates the experience and enhances all of those flavors so much. It doesn't just make it salty. Right. And so having that salinity uh, is certainly something that makes you your mouth water a little more. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Ethan, do we have any questions from folks?
0: You know, I could make up some questions, but we don't. I will ask, do you guys get creme brulee top?
1: Yeah. So creme brulee topping, right, is I mean, what is creme brulee topping? It's it's fire sugar. Mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, a type of caramel, which is also what, you know, they're doing to the barrels. So the barrels are toasted. Um, and so those natural sugars in the wood, uh, those natural wood sugars are going to get toasted. So very literally, there is a type of creme brulee sugar, if you will, as part of the ingredients of really every bourbon. So I really like that you kind of pointed that out because creme brulee is one of my absolute favorite things. And, you know, who doesn't love torching something? Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's going to be, you know, a that's a very, that's also a nice way You know, when I go back to saying, you know, if you're trying to pinpoint better ways to really articulate, you know, um, different flavor profiles or different tasting notes, start thinking of correlations. Right. So what is so you think, okay, it tastes like burnt sugar. What is burnt sugar? Oh, yeah. No, it goes back to creme brulee. And especially because there is a little bit of that. Um, body to it as well. Because when you eat creme brulee, you're not just eating the sugar topping, right? Mm -hmm. You're also eating that custardiness, which also has vanilla bean in it, right? So it then, saying creme brulee topping kind of pulls all of those things in together.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it makes you sound fancy.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I think tasting notes are actually really important in that a lot of people tend to I think people tend to oversimplify them, and and when I think there's another impulse. If you are somebody who maybe is just starting out on your journey, and you you don't necessarily get some of these notes, um, you can be like, oh my god, how pretentious is this person talking? about Creme brulee tastes like bourbon. It doesn't taste like creme brulee. Mm-hmm. But I think I think um, the you can get to a point once once you develop a basic um, sort of. Uh, I guess, fluency with it. It's where you where you can actually start making them useful again, but still specific and not pretentious in a way
1: in taste. Also, you know, it's very personal and it brings you to different places and it's very much rooted in memory. Right. The one that I love to talk about a lot is that Derek Brown uses all the time. He's like somebody I know said that this tastes like Japanese milk candy. And he's like, what the heck is that? And then he tasted Japanese milk candy like years later, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, it does taste like that!" Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it can be very evocative of various memories that you have. Um, and so, also don't don't feel like you're going to be wrong if you say something. Everyone's palates are different, so um, someone who picks up on fig um that doesn't and the other the other person or even the brand notes don't say fig it doesn't mean that's wrong that's how your palate processes that um and that's perfectly fine and that's why something like a flavor wheel is really uh it's a great tool um, for you know experts to neophytes you know and throughout that gamut um so don't ever feel shy about that except i will say one thing the most the worst the absolute worst tasting note you could ever give to something is the word smooth because it means nothing. <laughs> it just means it doesn't taste like gasoline. And if it tastes like gasoline, don't drink it.
2: Yeah. And so for anybody who agrees with that or is curious to learn more, go in and uh, look up our Audio essay episode, The Death of Smooth.
1: Oh, I need to listen to that (laughs) because I hate it so much.
2: You you actually might enjoy it a lot. I I had a lot of fun putting (laughs) that one together. So you and I are actually very well aligned with that coming into this (laughs) chasing.
1: It's like calling something interesting. It's like, okay, it sparks interest. Great. (laughs) Exactly. It's a lack of specifics. So anyways.
2: So... Elijah Craig, we we know it, we love it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's time to turn our attention to the next bottle on our tasting, which is Four Roses Single Barrel.
1: Yeah, and so uh, Four Roses Single Barrel. So Four Roses has um, four major uh, types in their lineup. So they have the Four Roses Yellow Label, also rebranded recently as just Four Roses. Uh, They have the small batch, and then they have the single barrel. And then the only reason I say four is because the fourth one is going to be your store picks. Right. So um, any sort of private picks. So Four Roses has two different mash bills and five different yeast strains. So they make essentially 10 different recipes. And so your single barrel off the shelf is going to be that first uh, strain. So it's going to be their first mash bill, um, which is mash bill um, B, I believe. Yeah, mash bill B. So that's 60 percent corn, 35 percent rye, 5 percent malted barley. And then from there, there's so many different other permutations between that and the yeast. And then also every single uh, store pick for Four Roses has uh, an age statement on it, and it will have that recipe. So there are diehard people out there who are like, I am OESK, I am OBSQ.
2: Oh my goodness, um, that sounds like uh, Enneagram <laughs> or uh, Myers-Briggs type It does thing. sound
1: like Myers-Briggs, I know. Um, but this is a seven to nine year. Um, you know, the single barrel will be anywhere from seven to nine years. They pull... It when it fits that flavor profile, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting that we started off with something that's eight to twelve, and and now we're going slightly slightly down in mm-hmm. age, um,
1: but higher in proof. Huh? And then also because it's a single barrel, that means it, um, you know, you're going to get sometimes a little bit of a different uh, uh, details on it each time. So when you look for single barrels in the store, you're always going to get generally the same. Uh, overall experience, but there will be differences because they are single barrels. Right. Um, so, for example, I know some people who really don't like Henry McKenna, for example, which is out of Heaven Hill. It's a bottled and bond product, so it's a hundred proof, um, and it's a single barrel product. But some people are like, "Oh, the last Henry McKenna I got was garbage. This one I got today is amazing." So, it sometimes can be a crapshoot when it is single barrels. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, and and that's uh, that has a lot to do with you know if if we're if we're looking at the process and saying all right well it's the same recipe mm-hmm. how come how come the same recipe in a different barrel tastes different well a, a lot of that comes down to the fact that well these barrels kind of get moved around the rickhouse and so maybe one sitting sort of lower where it stays cooler and then maybe one sitting maybe a little higher where the heat is allowed to aggregate and, and during the summer it gets a little hotter and then you know the nice thing about that is that it's a very human process. There are literal human beings who are mm-hmm. sitting there testing these, using yep. their senses to test these barrels. And sometimes, like, you know, you're gonna come across that bottle where you're like maybe less impressed by it. But to me, that makes the remarkable bottles even more special.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so one thing I will say about um, uh, rotating barrels rick rickhouses, so not all of them will do that, right? So there's some distilleries, uh, there's fewer ones that actually move them around. A lot of times what will happen is they will, they will stick uh, a barrel in a rickhouse and that's where it will live and they will taste it. And so that's why tasters, blenders um, go in and they are literally thieving from the barrel. So they take this big copper siphon Pop it in there, and they're just tasting whiskey all the time. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's
2: literally what you do when you're a kid and you get the <laughs> straw in your soft drink, and you put it, and you put your yep. finger on top, and you pull it out. That's it's just that, but giant.
1: And uh, bespoke and made of copper, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it, but it's yeah, it's the exact same thing, right? It's a siphon, and so that's why um, taste is so important, and that's why the role of the master distiller, master blender. So, you know, people like Jackie Zykan, for example, the master blender um, at Old Forester, right? She has her job because she has an exceptional palate. You, anybody can, you know, with a, chem, a basic understanding of chemistry or a chemistry degree can distill something, um, but really understanding and appreciating those flavor profiles and understanding how to blend them together, that's really where that next level comes in, and that's where it becomes um, a true art rather than just a science.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and the funny thing is it is science at the end of the day it's all molecules but mm. uh, but the, but the art is yeah. that humans are imperfect mm-hmm. and so if yes. we can manage to take those molecules and, and arrange them in a way that, uh, that somehow makes people very happy then that that's that is both science but also a bit of a miracle
1: yep and so for this one you know um you know on the nose you know what what is characteristic about um the bee mash bill um and the uh this particular yeast strain is that it has more fruit it's a little bit of delicate fruit forward but I also get a lot of nuts on it as well so Mm. for me I kind of get that like non-salty trail mix
2: fair Ooh, I like that non-salty trail mix
1: (laughs) So maybe like half the time it's like, well, with your chocolate chips and it no chocolate chips. I'm just saying like some pistachios, some maybe some hazelnuts, some pecans, uh, cashews mm-hmm. and then throw in some like dried cherries and cranberries. Mm-hmm. Maybe some pumpkin seeds, who knows. Uh, but that's really kind of what I get out of this.
2: I I see where you're going with the more delicate fruit. Mm-hmm. I almost get like an unripe apple yep. skin smell to it.
1: Well, a lot of times people will say, oh, that tastes like blackberry jam or fig jam or something jam. And really when you say jam or jelly, what that means is that it has been heated and the sugars have caramelized some and they're softened but also deepened. So then when we're talking about fruit, you know, there's always this kind of spectrum and continuum of, yes, you have your unripe apples. You also have your apples that are more like the mealy Macintosh versus the tart Granny Smith versus a... Yeah. Versus like a, like a honey crisp apple. And then if you did, um, you know, apple slices with lemon, or you did a, a apple apple in butter and caramel, or if you did an apple pie, those are additives of things like butter and spices. Um, and then even kind of that flaky pastry, if you have like an apple pie. Um, but then if you have apple butter, for example, that's a totally different experience as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I really like to implore people to really just kind of go back in their memories and be like, all right, I know what this tastes like. What does it taste like to me? You know, you know, like like Ethan was saying, uh, creme brulee. Sometimes, you know, that Japanese milk candy, uh, saltwater taffy. Mm-hmm. These are all evocative of experiences too, and things that you've eaten. So,
2: yeah, I like I, I like the the fact that this is high rye, and you do actually get some of the the rye notes on the nose, not just yes. on the palate. Sometimes when I walk up to a, a high rye bourbon um, it kind of, it wants to walk and talk like a non-high rye bourbon on the nose. And then the, bur- and the rye comes in and kind of slams you on the palate. Here, I get those almost minty qualities of, mm-hmm. of the rye, uh, or more, maybe, maybe just South of mint. Maybe we're talking more of like a caraway. Sure. Um,
1: well, you know, it's funny. So when you talk about rye as well, so rye will always give you that kind of spicy notes, right? That's the number one characteristic of rye. Um, whether it's a rye whiskey or rye in a bourbon mash bell. Um, but it's so funny. The, 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 the silliest and probably most oddball tasting note I've ever gotten on rye whiskey itself is dill and that's really characteristic of a lot of ryes that come out of mgp hmm. um and so uh even though i do love dill pickles so that that would be wonderful in like a bloody mary for example yep that would be banging a
2: bloody Bardstown or wherever mgp is
1: yeah based. some people yeah oh well oh, that's indiana. in Lawrenceburg, indiana indiana right yeah and then it's funny because that's a great segue because uh mgp just purchased luxco uh which <laughs> makes a uh, rebel bourbon so <laughs>
2: And uh, for anybody who wonders what MGP stands for, it's a Midwest Grain Products, but uh, it used to be called something different.
1: Um, I I don't know.
2: Oh, Seagram's.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, where are you going with that? So Seagram's actually, it's funny because Seagram's and Four Roses together, that is also a connection. So Seagram's owned Four Roses for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, And then Seagram's decided to really stop production on the Four Roses line um, and focus on their blended whiskey. So like I said, I did grow up down the road from Four Roses. So I saw the changes and the signs where it said Seagram's and then it went down and there was no sign for a while. And then it went back up as Four Roses. Um, And so I remember like the hordes of like Japanese businessmen who actually would come in. And uh, after the the acquisition by Kieran, um, so it's owned by Kieran now. Um, And so it was just funny to watch all of that firsthand, especially the expansion of the distillery and the the visitor center, uh, because the Four Roses Distillery, as it is today, that original building was built in 1910. And then they've gone through some various expansions um, in subsequent years. Um, But they only started making Four Roses again um, much later. Um, But, you know, what we really owe uh, to Four Roses is like for that new legacy of four roses is a really premium product is um their former master distiller jim rutledge um who is now doing his own distillery the rutledge distillery um and now it because it, he really i mean he built the brand for uh, for 20 years from 1995 to 2015 um, mm-hmm. and then now brent elliott is at the helm and you know continuing to do great stuff but the one thing i will say about four roses is that if you like bullet bourbon um, you will like Four Roses because Bullet Bourbon was sourced from Four Roses for a very long time.
2: I did not know that. That's fascinating. It says
1: Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, on the bottom, and Lawrenceburg, Indiana, on their rye. So they pulled from MGP as well as from Four Roses, um, and now they have their own distillery over in Louisville. So
2: beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the palate, well, what do you what do you primarily get on this? I mean, it, to me, it, it certainly comes out as a high rye bourbon, or a high. Sorry, uh, uh, yeah, high rye bourbon.
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I get, so some of those kind of minty qualities, if you will, a little bit of that zing, um, because I think a lot of times people will associate mint with wheat. I'm sorry, not <laughs> with sweet. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. not wheat with sweet because, you know, they're like, oh, it's mint. So like a mint julep or like mm-hmm. mint gum. Um, but mint is also kind of that freshness, kind of like that when you kind of like blow, if you have some gum and then you like blow, uh, air out, it's like cooling almost.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, to me, I, I get a little bit more and not in a bad way, but a little bit more bitterness and body on the Four Roses Single Barrel than I do on uh, the Elijah Craig for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's more of kind of like on the butterscotch side, if you will, mm-hmm. like a little bit more kind of roundness and a little bit more depth. Mm-hmm. So and yeah, I think a lot of that is contributed to uh, or from the
2: rye. I get, And I could similarly like make a, and, and when I say bitterness, I don't mean like, like gentian bitterness. I mean like chicory or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think a lot of people also like to associate uh, the word bitter with bad. Mm-hmm. But bitter is such an important taste receptor and such an important part of a, a really well-developed flavor. So.
2: Yeah, true that. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, the nice thing about Four Roses Single Barrel to me is that, uh, it certainly, I find, encourages you to sip slowly in a different way than what I was describing with the Elijah Craig a few moments ago. To me, this encourages you to sip a little bit more slowly. A because it's a little bit higher proof, <clears throat> so maybe you know, maybe it encourages uh, a rock, uh, whereas you might just want to uh, do the Elijah Craig neat. But it also encourages you to sit more slowly in that. It warms differently, and it sticks around in your on your palate in a different way. I find that I find that as you experience the finish, you get some almost uh, some some more desserty notes, but also a little bit of white pepper, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's really really pleasant to me, really yeah. really pleasant. And it
1: warms in the kind of like upper back half of your palate rather than like the lower front half. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And that to me is it, to me that's a little bit more. It, it's less urgent if that makes sense.
1: Um, right, it's that slow burn.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very this is this is like a win, This is a winter bourbon for me, mm-hmm. whereas like Elijah Craig's almost more of like a spring fall.
1: Yeah, no, that's. I mean, listen, I'm I'm gonna be honest. Like sometimes people are like. Uh, I drink bourbon in the wintertime because it's cold. Yes, you can always have an alcohol coat or a whiskey coat. But for me, uh, whiskey is something you can have all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely get how kind of those deeper spice notes. But think about like when you would drink something like mulled wine or a hot toddy, things mm-hmm. that have those spices to them, those warming spices versus that kind of lighter mash bill where it doesn't have as much spice from the rye.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, So we've got your classic mash bill, we've got your high rye mash bill, Mm -hmm. and now we're gonna take a quick moment to thank our first sponsor. Guys, we have a sponsor. Uh, So for those of you joining us on YouTube and uh, Facebook Live and all of the horizontal video formats, you're gonna see a really nice screen overlay right now uh, for near country provisions. and. Uh, Near Country Provisions is basically uh, a CSA for your local farm to table meat. And I was reached out to by Adam from Near Country Provisions, who actually, we he, he and I met at an event called Emporium that uh, DC folks might remember.
1: Emporium, right?
2: Emporium.
1: Yeah. Held Yum. at
2: huh. Union Market in the before days when we could actually be together. Um, but, but Adam has teamed up with a bunch of Amazing local farmers. So, first caveat is that this is sort of local to the DMV region. Uh, they do have some resources for you. If you, if you reach out to, to us, I, I can put you in touch with resources if you're not in the DC region. Uh, but for those folks joining us here in the DMV area, this is the sort of thing where you uh, basically you go to uh, nearcountry.com and you can select any number of packages you can get uh, just pork, just beef. Or a combination, you can get any number of pounds delivered. Uh, you can do cool add-ons, and they're also about to launch chicken, and they also have—they've already launched seafood. So this is a Perfect. really cool local initiative. Like the seafood is all local too. It's you know, so we get the the rockfish or striped bass for those of us who aren't from around here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I, I've been testing this out with, uh, with our friend Ethan in the booth for the past couple months, and I've done some really fun stuff. I did some, I took some of the, some of the beef that they used, and I uh, threw it in the sous vide, got it right to medium rare, and then sliced it super thin because I made some homemade pho. And I just took this beautiful farm fresh beef and was able to put that right over my, my pho, and it was like this beautiful touch. And it, it's great. It's been amazing to play around with. They have great cuts and uh, they just drop it off right at your door on ice. You just leave your bag out from the previous delivery. They grab that and then away you go. You've got your meat for the month. And um, I even tried to throw them a curveball this time. I threw in a six pound brisket as a little add on and it didn't trip them up. Um, so Ethan, what what have you been making with your near country provisions uh, meat supply from from this past month?
0: Yeah, so I've been going in on the breakfast meats pretty hard these uh, last few weekends, and they're 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 wonderful. So the Near Country breakfast sausage was phenomenal. Came with uh, it's so it's unlike your Jimmy Dean maple flavored sausage. It is made with real maple sugar. Delicious as a side with some hash browns and eggs, some pancakes, and what's even better. Because while they're not formed into patties or links, the way that near country pays attention to detail and puts the butcher paper in between layers is you get these big, wide. I mean, my friends from Pennsylvania Dutch country will it, say it reminds you of slices of scrapple, but it tastes way. Are we a family show? Way stinking better. Um, and then you've got, uh, and then you got their bacon. It is your traditional thick-cut, super premium bacon, but this stuff is. Smoky all get out has a phenomenal, phenomenal taste for something that is uncured in that traditional sense. Um, A lot of the other places will try to use weird, uh, you know, weird additives. So kind of defeats the purpose of an uncured meat. If you're going to add, if you're going to add stuff that shouldn't be in a cured meat or uncured meat, this stuff, fantastic. I'm not actually going to speak ill of their competition because I'm only going to be eating this bacon going forward. Uh, Should I switch this over to the code?
2: Yeah, yeah, please. So the cool thing that we have to offer uh, all of our viewers and listeners right now is that we have a nice little thank you from Near Country uh, to all of our our listeners. Uh, If you go to nearcountry.com and you sign up for one of their packages, you can use the code BARCART, all one word, at checkout to get two free pounds of bacon or ground beef. You choose uh, and it just comes as a little thank you for being a part of the modern bar cart community. So again, at checkout, that's bar cart, all one word. It doesn't apply to trials, which you can also do. If you just wanna kind of give them a little test, you can do a little trial, um, but that doesn't count for, for our little code. So if you do end up going all in and uh, using near country for your uh, farm to doorstep meets, uh, then use that code at checkout and uh, select whether you'd like two pounds of free bacon, which Ethan just described, or two pounds of free ground beef. All right, let's get back to the bourbon.
1: (laughs) I know, it's funny. So I'm a pescatarian, so I'm just like thinking about like, oh yeah, I can't eat that. But then when you said they have seafood, I was like, oh. Hi, well maybe I need to check that out. They do. And I will say though is that you know, a lot of times people think that bourbon and steak, right? Like I always say, think about Ron Swanson when you're talking about uh, pairing <laughs> pairing with whiskey. What is Ron Swanson like more in the world besides woodworking and not government? Mm-hmm. Um, whiskey and meat, right? Um, And of course, uh, you know, meat goes really well with bourbon uh, and whiskey in general because of the various type of flavors. And the um, the the oils in the bourbon really help to cut through some of that uh, deep fattiness and even the salinity, the sweetness and the salinity go really well together to make this really beautiful marriage. But I feel like a lot of times folks are like it only goes with meat, Um, but it actually goes really well with seafood, too. Um, especially some of the sweeter stuff like like shrimp or lobster even, mm-hmm. um, and so oh, there's yeah. so many ways that you can actually pair whiskey with food um, that I think folks maybe wouldn't even think about. So mm-hmm.
2: yeah, typically it's going to be like your after dinner drink, but uh, but yeah, start start playing around. I, when I think bourbon, I think like maple glazed ham.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's fair.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I normally
1: that. think of like you know, like Ruth's Chris steakhouse, you know, having like a big thing of whiskey and bourbon with my big old, you know, like butter sizzling filet. Mm-hmm. So,
2: I mean, I wouldn't turn that down either. I mean,
1: but. yeah, listen, you know, I haven't always been this way. <laughs>
2: Uh, so take us to our next yeah. next bourbon.
1: Yeah, so um, this one is uh, Rebel Bourbon. So it's funny because I always was like, why is it still Rebel Yell? <laughs> it's like, haven't we gotten away from this? But Rebel Yell is like an old school uh, a brand that Luxco brought back. Um, Luxco was actually recently acquired like three weeks ago or something uh, by uh, MGP. Um, they used to source most of their whiskeys from Heaven Hill, um, so which we've already touched on. So a lot of these started in the same place. Um, but the difference between the uh, Rebel Bourbon and the rest of these is that it is a weeded mash bill. So most of the weeded mash bills you are probably accustomed to are Maker's Mark. Um, I certainly could have chosen that one, but I wanted to choose something that maybe folks don't think about. Uh, Larceny is also out of uh, Heaven Hill, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to pull in something also from Heaven Hill. Right. Um, even though very technically it's from Heaven Hill, but you know. Um, and then uh, finally, the one that all y'all probably have heard about is uh, Weller and Pappy Van Winkle. Those are also weeded mash bills. Mm-hmm. Um, And so Rebel Yell actually started, um, it was a brand created by the Stitzelweller company way back in the way back machine. Um, And then it was sold off um, in uh, 19... uh, 72, I believe. And so Luxco's only been around for about 40 years, uh, but they make this as well as Davies County, Ezra Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing that I really get off the nose on this one, and oh, yes, yeah, so the mash bill here is 68% corn, 20% wheat, and then 12% malted barley. And so that one of the things about that too is that the malted barley is much higher than the ones that we've had um, in the other two. Um, so that will give a little bit more kind of that graininess to it as well. So because malted barley is what's usually used in scotch, for example. Um, so that's used to also temper kind of that sweetness and softness of the wheat. Um, but on the nose, I get a lot of grass.
2: Mm, I like, well, yeah, yeah, wheat is a grass. Interesting. It is a grass,
1: but you know, so corn. kind of that freshness, you know, sort of that fresh. Gr- corn is a grass? I didn't know that.
2: It is. I yeah. guess
1: it's like a yeah, big seeded grass. The yeah, you I learn. get that.
2: I get that. Like, yeah, wet, like grass after a nice rain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's fun. You know, this is fun to smell. Um, it is. I would say this is probably the, the most fun to smell. And one of the things that I sometimes come across in weeded bourbons is when you, if you take too big of a sniff, like if you get real ambitious and get right in there, sometimes you can get a little bit more than you reckoned for on the nose. That um,
1: octane, I like to call it singeing my nose hairs. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know,
1: so but, you don't need a tremor. You just need some really good uh, high proof bourbon.
2: But this is nice. This has had plenty of time to open up, and and, and <clears throat> yeah. it's real. This is really pleasant to smell. I mean, there's there's something I would say. You know, that diff- again, we're going to come back to coming back to this this idea again, but differently comforting about a weeded bourbon than something that's a high rye. Um, it, it's just it. This is to me, the the friendly outgoing person here in this lineup.
1: Yeah, and so this one is, so this this particular bottling is 100 proof, so 50% alcohol by volume. It's also a straight bourbon, so it doesn't have an age statement, but you know, it's going to be at least two years old. So straight means at least two years old. If you see bottled and bond, that's going to mean four years old, and we'll get into that with our last one, which is bottled and bond. Yep. Um, but for this one, um, you know, It's a lot of times folks think that if there's wheat in your bourbon, it's full of gluten. Um, But actually, so this is something I talk about a lot in my cocktail classes, too, is that so with the distillation process, all of that protein uh, that is gluten just gets completely decimated. So the only way there's going to be gluten in a distilled product, that's not saying liqueurs because there could be other things added, right? is if, like, literally, like, wheat dust settled into the bottle before they, like, poured the whiskey in there. So even if it's a weeded bourbon, it it is is gluten-free. <laughs> so. but,
2: but Tito's is gluten-free, like they say so.
1: <laughs> they are the most genius marketing folks on the planet. All vodka is gluten-free. I was like, can I say this closer? All vodka is gluten-free, as is all rum, tequila, whiskey, etc.
2: Gin. Have- it's funny because I had somebody who actually worked at a at a liquor store, a pretty fairly prominent <laughs> and well known liquor store here in DC, say that say that uh, they can't drink uh, bourbon because because of a gluten sensitive. Like, oh no, I can tell.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, listen, you know, sometimes there are people who could have a reaction, but also that doesn't mean necessarily that it's a gluten reaction. Yeah, it could just be another type of reaction. Also, if it's a craft producer, for example, there could be less, you know, control over if little bits of dust settle in there that do contain gluten. Um, also, the other way you can get gluten in whiskey is by flavorings and additives. Um, so but if you are drinking bourbon that is regulated uh, by the United States government, by the FDA, by the TTB, all of these folks. And so they literally can't have any Artificial additives in order for it to be labeled as bourbon.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: there you go. The more you know.
2: Exactly. Um, so the thing that I love about this is that it really does not hit you like a hundred proof product.
1: No. It does. So there. So uh, Rebel Bourbon comes in a hundred proof and eighty proof. I brought the hundred proof because course you did. It's me. Um, I was like, okay. I don't even own a bottle of Basil Hayden because <laughs> like, I just, I don't drink anything under 90 proof really. But yeah, it really does not drink to its proof. No. So be careful.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, seatbelts on, seatbelts on, yes. drink, drink water between. Hydrate. Yep.
1: Hydration is the most important part of dehydration. So.
2: Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, just what an approachable, approachable product, especially for the proof. And I mean, sometimes, when we're tasting two, I think it's useful to consider value, right? Um, bang for your buck in certain respects. There's mm-hmm. not just there's not just one definition of value. I mean, it depends on who you are and what you're looking for in terms of how we can define value. But for me, the value of this is that you know it it it, it is by the sheer fact that it is a hundred proof. It brings a certain amount of gravity and sophistication to the table because mm-hmm. if you don't have a somewhat sophisticated product you have no right to be bottling it at 100 proof you're yeah. going to want to water that down right to where it's legal so that people can um, you know let the water erase some of maybe the flaws or a lack of sophistication but you've got a sophistication sort of built into this by the sheer fact that it's a 100 proof and then you taste it and you're like wow like yeah
1: you would have no idea
2: how nice
1: well, and there's also uh, whiskeys out there that are below 90 proof that drink like they're higher. And that's not necessarily a good thing. No. Um, <laughs> so let me, let me just put it this way. Is that if if there is a high proof that drinks lower, that's good. That's a quality marker, right? Mm-hmm. If there is a low that feels like it drinks high, that means it's probably crap. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that means it's not aged very long. It's not well blended. Um a lot of your bottom shelf bombs, if you will, will drink higher proof. That's where they'll kind of like, Oh, like, Oh my gosh, like, what did I just drink? I drank gasoline.
2: Yeah, it feels like you got punched in the chest. Um, yeah. yeah and, and now I'll caveat this by saying that I work with a lot of craft distillers. Mm-hmm. I love craft distillers. I love craft distilling. I, I think it's a super, super important part of the American landscape. Yep. And if you put a gun to my head, I'm going over to the craft guys mm-hmm. that said, when you drink whiskey from a lot of bourbon or, or other types of whiskey from a lot of craft distillers, this is where you're bound to encounter that. And, and maybe maybe they will try to explain it away by saying like, oh, it's very peppery, <laughs> Um So this is something just to be on the lookout when you're dealing with these craft distillers they're still figuring it out and that's okay. It's okay for them to be figuring it out, but it's also okay for you not to spend $70 on a bottle that you don't like and then just go to the liquor store on your way home and pick up something like this.
1: Well, you know, I mean, that's also, you know, time is the most expensive ingredient, mm-hmm, right? Totally. And you can't control for it. Um, all of this hyperaging stuff is gimmicky AF. Um I'm sorry, but like, you can't throw some wood chips in and expect it to taste like something like a Four Roses or an Elijah Craig. You can't do it. Um, (laughs) We could could argue about that for a long time, I'm sure, with some people, but I really am not for the gimmicks um it's like just let it go don't force it let time do its thing this is a proven process but it does take time and patience and i understand that places have a bottom line to hit so that's why i always really like to especially with craft producers i like to patronize their products that aren't aged so gin vodka liqueurs um rum in some cases um agave spirits Mm -hmm. uh etc so it's it's definitely an expectation uh, that should be tempered. Yeah. Um, but going back to your value conversation, too, you know, I mean, so Elijah Craig is about, what, 25 bucks MSRP, four roses, single barrels, about 40. Uh, the Rebel Bourbon is between, um, you know, 20 bucks, really 25 bucks. Um, and then once we get to the wild turkey, that's really kind of the heavy hitter <laughs> as far as your wallet and age go, but that's for a reason, right? Yes. Um, but you know, value is something I also really like to talk about. Um, first off, drink what you like, drink whatever you want, but do drink curious. That's our mantra at Berman Banter. Um, hashtag drink curious. Um, that makes me feel really old when I say that. <laughs> i like, hashtag. I'm, I'm, I don't even, I'm not even on TikTok. Um, I can't figure it out. So, You have to um, know how to
2: dance, I think.
1: I mean, I do, but very poorly. I'm like a Liz Lemon dancer. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Working on my night cheese. So, uh, you know, but when it comes to value, though, you also have to think about, like, um, a lot of bourbons out there. People ask me, someone asked me actually last night, Aaron, what do you think about Sweeten's Cove, Uh, Peyton Manning's bourbon? Well, um, (laughs) that is a source bourbon that is overpriced so badly. And I've never had it because I don't care about Peyton Manning. And also, it's all branding. Um, So Does it come with head trauma? I, yeah, I'm sure. Well, it comes from head trauma if you're willing to pay, like, I think it's $350 a bottle or something. Uh, So you must have experienced some head trauma if you um, bought a
2: bottle. Sorry, Sorry, Marianne
1: Barnes, but. Sorry, Peyton. Sorry, girl. Sorry. Sorry, guy. Um, But no, so, I mean, like, for example, I even saw this thing on sale the other day. They were importing it from France. They wanted to charge. 50 euros plus 40 euros shipping for a regular Buffalo Trace bottle with a fancy cardboard tube. It mm. was regular Buffalo Trace, but it cost you 90 euros to get shipped to your house here in the US uh, for just regular Buffalo Trace, which is $20 MSRP. Um, so just be wary as a consumer. A lot of bourbon has a lot of storytelling, marketing, and branding. So always start not, I don't necessarily say a bottom shelf, but start with what you could afford.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't think that you need to go out in the secondary market and spend $200 for Weller Special Reserve, um, which should be selling for like $20 bucks for a 175 uh, for a weeded bourbon when you can try other weeded bourbons that are readily available at MSRP, um, such as the Rebel Bourbon from Luxco. Maker's Mark is an excellent one. Larceny, larceny. from Heavenly Hill. That's yeah. my favorite, yeah. And so it's funny, though, because like Larceny doesn't hit with me. Makers is my are my folks. So mm-hmm. again, palettes are always different. So start understanding what you like. And the reason why I wanted to talk about the various mash bills first was because, you know, once you understand the type of mash bill you like, then that can start guiding you into what other things to try.
2: Exactly. And and I think, you know, you were saying drink curiously. Well, part of drinking curiously is being informed. And and so if yep. you know the mash bill that you like, when you can walk up to a bottle that's you can do a little research on and and understand that that has a mash bill that's different from what you normally like, even if you don't end up liking that bottle, maybe you can understand why. And that's a data point for you. That's something that's, that's, that's an arrow in your quiver going forward. So that's, that's, that's important. But yeah, on the finish for me, this is like nice and it's like, like honey and apple or honey crisp apple or like, you know, it's, it's just so pleasant, so easy. And, um, I mean, I I true, I truly love it. So. so,
1: yeah, those are those soft wheat notes. And I I usually um, ask folks to try this whenever I do uh, private bourbon tastings because everyone's had Maker's Mark and people usually have preconceived notions about it. Right. Um, even though I do think it's an exceptional product. Um, my fiance and I, he actually told me on our first date, he said Maker's Mark, uh, Maker's Mark and Vauv Clicquot are the Coca-Cola of their various and their respective industries in the sense that it's the same thing. Everywhere you go, you always know it's going to be good. You know what to expect. Um, It's kind of the, uh, I guess, poster child for the category, if you will, uh, broadly. Um, And it's, you know, it's not priced too crazy. It's not a low dollar product. It's not a super premium product, but it's kind of in the middle.
2: Yep. You know exactly what you're getting. I don't know. There's something about Maker's Mark that always tastes a little waxy to me. Um, Yeah,
1: that's fair. And I actually get a little wax on this, but I think that, so for me, a lot of rye, like rye whiskeys will taste a little waxy to me. This one tastes slightly waxy to me. Um, but I, I get what you're saying, but I feel like one of the things, if you do like weeded bourbons and maybe you don't like Makers itself, try some of their finishing series, their private selection, because that's a great way to learn how wood really plays with the flavor profiles.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't serious. That was just a wax joke because um, they dipped the bottle. But, um, oh, <laughs> <it's>
1: <laughs> I okay. missed it. But it actually does. Like, this one actually does have a slight waxy it does. taste to me.
2: It, does. it oh. does.
1: Well, by the way, though, you can thank Margie Samuels, who's the matriarch of the Samuels family, um, for that whole branding process. Uh-huh. Um, she's incredible. So if you guys have some time, uh, look up Margie Samuels. She is a pioneer, and she is the mastermind behind the Maker's Mark brand.
2: Beautiful. So I think it is that time for it us is. to to come to this, uh, this very, very special um, final.
1: I'm going to cleanse my palate here. So this one is um, near and dear to my heart for so many reasons. Um, you know, once again, I grew up in Lawrenceburg in Anderson County in the same county as Wild Turkey. Um, Eddie Russell and Jimmy Russell are the two... Um, first off, the nicest humans. Um, Jim Rutledge is also an extremely nice human. But um, all three of those guys. Actually, you know, all the master distillers in Lawrenceburg are the nicest people in the world. Um, and they know their bourbon. And so, you know, Jimmy and Eddie do a wonderful job. I mean, granted, Jimmy is like in his 80s now. And so um, he's not the master distiller anymore. Eddie took over for him in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um But the Master's Keep is a series um, that came out to really kind of, you know, play with that ultra premium market. The first one that they had in that kind of vein was uh, Kentucky Spirit, um, which is the coolest because it has this like turkey fan bottle. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, it's beautiful. Um, But this one, this particular Master's Keep is a bottled and bond 17 year, 100 proof. It's almost Um, old
2: enough to drink itself.
1: I know, right? Um, So this was actually, uh, I believe, done out of the Camp Nelson warehouse. And so there's this whole thing about warehousing, which I guess you could get into about like terroir or whatever with bourbon. But I feel like my brain just can't handle that (laughs) half the time. I'm like, I I, I really can't. Some people do, especially with um, Elijah Craig. They have a lot of different warehouses. So people will have... you know, affinities or, a lot or or loyalties to various warehouses. But this one was uh, from the Camp Nelson Warehouse. The other one is uh, Tyrone Warehouses, which is actually on property uh, at Wild Turkey, whereas um, Nelson is in Jessamine County. Um, so, yeah, this one does retail for $175. Um, you might not be able to find it anymore on the shelves. There were about 15,000 bottles. I actually think it was 14,400. Um, but it's a truly... I feel like it's a remarkable bourbon for its age. Um, if anyone has ever had Pappy 23 or other hyper-aged bourbons, um, they can sometimes taste like you just had a sip of bourbon and then threw a bunch of like wood chips in your mouth and start chewing on them. Mm-hmm. But this one I feel like really is more measured with the oak. Uh, in the sense that it doesn't just taste like I put charcoal in my glass.
2: Mm-hmm. The nose is uh, sort of cedarry to me. It's got yeah, it's got absolutely. some. I mean, you can you kind of get the fact that it's different right away without even having to taste it. Um,
1: And it's a fun bourbon. And the reason why I threw this in here, and I know that, you know, folks watching along um, probably won't have access to this one in particular, but look for something that's maybe a little bit different, something that is longer aged. You don't necessarily have to, you know, like sell a kidney for it um, because there's so many options out there. But understanding how the extended aging process really does impact the flavor, I think, is important. Um, because then you can understand the difference between a straight bourbon, which is two years, bottle and bond, which is a minimum of four, and then ones that actually do have an age statement like this one.
2: Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time and, like, talk to people, you know, two 300 oh years ago who were, who were first um, making bourbon. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine the conversation that you'd have? You'd you'd be like, all right, so so listen. In a couple hundred years, this stuff's still going to be around. Mm -hmm. And people are going to be all about it. And they're going to be so into it that you're going to have a bunch of warehouses. And they're going to track down which one you keep it in. And if it's in this one, they're going to love it. But if it's in that warehouse... It's fine. They're not going to want it.
1: You know, I feel like more than anything is that so whiskey in this country, and let me throw in my my kind of like history professor hat here um so the reason why bourbon is america's native spirit is because um it's so nice right wow isn't it crazy
2: that's not bourbon right it is but it's not it's
1: not it's such a fun what? flavor
2: ethan what are you getting i was
0: about to say like what's hold ethan
2: on we'll, we'll get we'll get back to professor aaron i ethan, know <laughs> what what am i what is the flavor that i'm getting that i can't communicate is it pear
0: One second, let me me flip the camera and give this a a little sniff. It's very fruity.
1: It's very fruity, yeah.
2: Which is not what you'd expect at all.
1: Mm -mm. You definitely do get some of the charcoal on the front of the palate, Uh right? So that's that's what you're going to get with a hyper-aged bourbon, um, is you will get a little bit more oak, but you get no, it's not, you're not really getting that caramel sweetness. You're getting more like mocha. Like, think of, like, a little bit of, like, coffee bean as well as, like, cocoa nibs.
2: This tastes like Armagnac. There you go. This is ridiculous. Yeah, this is
1: where we get into Or even, like, Applejack, even. Like, you know, like like an aged, like a Laird's 12, even.
2: This does not taste like it is
0: made of corn.
1: Right? It's so fun.
0: It's our super premium conundrum that we had with the rums, where they start tasting like other things and not in an insulting way. It's like the rum tasting like scotch. This is the bourbon that tastes like really good brandy. Yeah, and I think that's what you're picking up. It's not pear. You're picking up all the flavors of the brandy. I almost get this is.
1: I don't want to say this, but it tastes like almonds too. Um, Uh huh. I definitely get kind of that almond flavor. Not marzipan.
2: Mm, I don't know. I don't know though.
1: Like almost it like a.
2: I think this would be a positive use case for marzipan. Just I putting know, it out there.
1: I know, but I just, oh, I just can't. My heart hurts. Um, no, but yeah. So you, I definitely get kind of that almond, not like necessarily like orjat almond, but like, like really nice, like just raw almonds, not toasted almonds, but raw almonds. Mm-hmm. Like almond extract, even.
2: Yeah, yeah. Almond, I, I can get the extra. It's very, it's very intense. It's very powerful. Yep. It's powerful but sophisticated.
1: This doesn't taste like it's hundred proof. I don't think.
2: I mean, this doesn't, this is baffling to me.
1: Right? It's so fun.
2: (laughs) I mean, the price tag is totally worth it. I mean, for for anybody out there who's saying they're like, (laughs) oh my God, this is, this is special. Yeah. Like this is not, this glass is going to be dry. um, Yeah. For sure. Uh, So, all right. This is, this is an interesting thing I think to talk about here would be like, how do you think about, how do you evaluate or think about a bourbon when it doesn't taste like a bourbon, in the, like in this case, like what what does the what's the mental process that you go through uh, when when you taste this?
1: Um, I mean, you know, again, I have a, you know real appreciation for a where I'm from um, and the impact of the environment as well as the palate of the master distiller, um, because number one, the environment is the major contributing factor to. Whether this, so you know, the barrels that were created and filled, uh, that ended up being this particular BIB product, um, versus, you know, maybe some of those were also dumped to be 101. You know, they could have been dumped earlier to be 101, but these ones were special. And the reason they were special is because of the various type of makeup from the the barrels, the interaction with the environment. I don't know, maybe I don't know why Jessamine County is so special. Um most folks, like the best things in Jessamine County, Kentucky, are the boot store and Camp Nelson warehouses. Um, not hating on anybody from Nicholasville, just saying. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the fact that something can be so different um, because of how it has aged and literally breathed in and out of those staves. Because mm-hmm. the staves in a barrel are like lungs. You know, they breathe in, they breathe out. And so when the white dog or the actual corn mash is put into a barrel with the seasons, uh, especially in Kentucky, that's why Kentucky does so well with bourbon is because of the rapid change in temperatures um, versus the summer versus the winter. That's why I really don't love Texas whiskeys, because they have a pretty standard weather pattern up until last week.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, the other reason why Kentucky, you know, was really popular with bourbon production is because, you know, folks were literally said like, hey, you plant 40 acres of corn, which was a product native to or a crop native to the Americas. If you plant 40 acres of corn, you can have X amount of land, just like, you know, Jamie Frazier and Outlander. They were like the governor was like, you could have all of this land if you recruit so many people to settle there and you make so many things of crops. It's the same thing with bourbon. No, but really, it, it had everything to do with politics. Um, the reason why we in this country have a palate for bourbon is because in uh, I can't remember, 1806 or 1807, the British put a blockade against the United States and the Cari- against the Caribbean and France because of Napoleon. Um, and so we couldn't drink the brandy and the cognac we liked so much. So we started getting into our own stash and that stuck. Um, and so it's all of these geopolitics that actually led us to having such a unique product um, and having such a palette for it. And now recently it's really taken, you know, the United States as well as the world by storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it all has to do with our unique geography, the weather patterns, um, because one you can take a these exact same mash bill. Wild turkey has two mash bills. One is bourbon. One is rye that's it so literally the exact same recipe was used to make that 101 versus this right here so i think that's personally i think that's crazy yeah
2: it's it, it's something yeah it's, it's a miracle like going back to like the what we were science. talking about earlier it's, it's science but it's also a miracle it right is and, and, and and uh and when, you know when i taste something like this where there's so much going on right it's smoky it's a little bit cedary on, to me, like you get some of that mentholation, but then you also get this burst of fruit that is that like, no offense to these other folks over here, but the fruit in this is like more than any of the, like all of these combined in here and it's fresh. It's like biting into a, maybe not a peach, but like the equivalent of biting into a juicy peach, it, it, just the intensity of it. And then you've got this crazy finish where it's like all of these things kind of warp through different iterations of what they were on the when you first took it into your mouth. So it's incredibly compelling and like it's it's almost uh, I think drinking something that's a this old and b had so much care put into the making of it is uh, no offense to anybody. Uh, but sort of a religious experience for me, like not, not to say that the other types aren't, aren't good and valid, but this to me is a religious experience because there is something about that. There's something numinous about this. There's something mysterious, but also loving and compelling about it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, listen, my middle name is Russell. Um, you know, the Russells are the master distillers at Wild Turkey. We are still we still need to figure out if we're related. Um, I don't know really if we are. Um, One of our
2: co-founders was, is Russell also, but that's his first name. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, ours was a family last name. So we actually had a, a, a dry goods uh, grocer um, for a long time in the family, MC Russell, who actually also sold a lot of bourbon. Did he um, spin so I records? Feel like,
2: hmm? Did he spin records?
1: He did not. MC Russell, no. It was Milton Culbertson. <laughs> The whitest name on the planet. Um, But no, it's I I, I don't know why I feel such an affinity for Wild Turkey. Maybe it is because I'm from there and I know the guys. But it's also because I feel like with their product, I always just get a different experience. Um, 101 is an excellent product. Um, Rare Breed's a wonderful product. Kentucky Spirit. Um, And all day, every day, Russell's Reserve is on the shelf. And it is one of, you know, I mean, my absolute favorite uh, products out there. So I think that Wild Turkey sometimes gets a rap for being like, I don't know, old man bourbon or like redneck cheap bourbon. But I think now sure. they're getting their day in the sun as a truly exceptional brand. I mean, granted, they were they were uh, acquired a couple of years ago by Campari. Um, and, you know, I really Smart. don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't give Matthew McConaughey any credit for anything they're doing. Um, but... Uh, I I just really think that this is the result of people doing for decades, you know, what they're good at and what they know and they love. And I feel like this is an excellent example of, you know, the mash bill is very important, but it's also has everything to do with the palates of the people in charge.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well well said. Uh, Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing not only (laughs) the first three bottles, but especially this very, very beautiful wild turkey 17 year with us um Aaron, is is there anything that you would ask of our listeners, if uh, in the bourbon space or uh, in terms of like contact info, you want to drop so that people can uh, keep in touch with you and maybe uh, join some of the cocktail classes that you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at erpdc Aaron Russell Petrie, District of Columbia. Uh, you can also find me at bourbonbanter.com. Also, uh, be sure to give us a follow on all of the uh, social media platforms, uh, Bourbon Banter, um, and then. And also, um, you can also message me on Instagram um, or you can catch me on email, Erin.Petry, P-E-T-R-E-Y at gmail.com for custom cocktail classes as well as uh, custom whiskey tasting experiences where I will go very in-depth into all of the mash bills as well as show you how to taste, pair with food. Um, I go even more in-depth into the history of each brand and kind of the history of everything. I actually teach a class called History of the World through booze as well um, because it's funny how much. Our, our today landscape has been shaped by uh, alcohol and the distillation process, um, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me here, Eric. And um, always, uh, I love using your bitters as well in all of my bourbon cocktails. They're beautiful,
2: beautiful, beautiful. Well, thanks so much <laughs> for being here. We got to get you out of here because you're actually off to go teach a class tonight. So um, yeah, this is this is serious. To anybody who enjoyed Aaron today on the live stream or on the podcast that'll be coming out soon. Um, definitely hit her up because she does a lot of classes and uh, this is the perfect sort of thing if you are in the doldrums right now and uh, you have to put together a happy hour for your company or something like that this is the absolute perfect thing Um, she is an absolute wizard and uh, we are so lucky to have her so Aaron thanks again And uh, for everybody listening, you can check this out uh, over on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And eventually, when I get my act together, it's going to be on our YouTube channel as well. Hopefully, we've got sound this time.
0: Ethan, thanks for being here, bud. Code Barkart at nearcountryprovisions.com.
2: Awesome. Yeah, hit up near country. Cheers. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, bourbon and spirited tasting notes courtesy of Aaron Petrie, soundboard management by Ethan Hall, delicious meats from near country provisions, and a little bit of color commentary by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.